Welcome to the mikvah.org podcast. The mikvah organization has been dedicated to the education and resources for Jewish family life since 1975-5735. You can support our vital work at mikvah.org forward slash donate. Thank you for your support and enjoy today's recording. Hi, welcome back to part two, an overview of Pru Urvu based on the Rebbe Sichais, a candid discussion with Mrs. Sarah Morozov on balancing the blessing of children in today's hectic world. For those of you who tuned in yesterday, um, you were going to continue right along. If you missed part one, it is available at mikvah.org forward slash media. Subscribe to our podcast, mikvah.org forward slash audio, and you will see when it goes on over there, along with our other amazing classes from this past two years. Now, without further ado, I'd like to have Mrs. Sarah Morozov. Uh, hi, good evening, everybody. Welcome to part two on our Pruervo series based on the Rebbe Sichas. I highly recommend everybody to please listen to part one as an introduction, especially the first half hour, how we absorb and process the Sichas. And I also want to remind you that this is like for the general public and you need to, after you listen um, to this information, you need to go to your husband plus your mashpia and speak together how this information may or may not apply in your specific situation. What I'm going to do today is just continue straightforward, a sheer, uh, a continuation like we did yesterday, answering more questions that came up um, and how the Reb addresses them. And after I finish, as uh, Hashem, it probably should take an hour. Then we'll start with the questions and answers that were submitted already. Um, new questions and answers starting from now. Um, Hasi will post in the chat how to submit questions and answers um, for tonight. So the next question we will address is why should I have more children? You know, if I've already fulfilled the Mr. Poor Vu, Dairaisa had one or two children. I mean, excuse me, I had two children already, have a boy and a girl, or even two children. Uh, why do I need more children or another child? Or the Rebbe says, like, nochakin, nochakin, nochakin. You know, you hear the Rebbe's voice saying that. So uh, here, I'll quickly go through some of the sikhas with their makairis. So if you follow along, um, you can post again the notes. If you want to follow along, this is on page 10. So first of all, the Rebbe says in the Parashas Yisrael, Tavshem Dawid, the Rebbe says that every child is not just a bracha. Every child is a true bracha and brings a bracha not only to the family, but also brings a bracha to the entire world. So it's not just a child. We have to look into the context of this, a child, and another yid that's, that is created and brought down into Ayolam Hazah creates a source of blessing for the family and a source of blessing for the entire world. And in fact, like we mentioned already, in order for Mashiach to come, every neshama needs to be born. So perhaps this one extra neshama will actually be the one that tips the scale and Mashiach will come for that reason. That's Yotshvat Tov Shem Lamed. And also in the Mugadu Kesicha, we have one edited Sicha from the Rebbe and Sichas on this topic, which is Chayu Chavhei Parshas Noyach Sicha Gimel. And especially the second half of the Sicha discusses in great detail the Mitzvah of Purvu. And there, there also mentions that uh, that Yidin have gone through such Hashmodites like destruction. There was the Holocaust in um, the previous generation. 
And before that, there were so many pogroms and we had the Crusades and, and the Cossacks and throughout history, Yidin were destroyed over and over again. There's always a chi of an obligation, not just for our personal lives, but there's an obligation to just replenish the Jewish nation and not just replenish the Jewish nation, but expand and expand. We have a, a, a duty to call Israel to expand the Jewish nation. And I want to add um, from around the year 2000, the birth rate in America of Orthodox Jews is on a steady decline. And think of the people are getting married later. People are choosing to have less children. Um, their children that are not remaining from. So all these dynamics together, we have to think what will be the future of um, Israel. Um, let's skip the next one. We discussed it already. Um, I just want to point out the Anoichi Hashem Olkecha pointer that, that that's, um, if you were here yesterday, that's the on the gem video. This is the first snippet that every neshama is waiting. When will come my time to come down into Olam Haza? And fulfill um, the Torah mitzvahs because every neshama was present as Har Sinai. And like at Har Sinai, and the Rebbe says, Hashem said in Aseris Adibrei, "Lashan Yochid Anoichi Hashem Elokecha." The Rebbe, the Eibushter, spoke individually to every single neshama as like face to face to an individual neshama. I am your Eibushter, and that neshama now feels its its readiness to fulfill the mission and be born to fulfill Torah mitzvahs. This was Tubishva Toshimem Aleph. And like we already said, and the Rambam says, every time we have an additional child, it's not just a child. Every child is an entire world because we have to project that it's not just one more individual that we're adding to Kali Yisrael, but of course, a whole future dynasty. That's from Erev Rosh Hashanah, Toshim Membez. And the Rebbe says, if you think you already have the joy and nachas of having children, every child brings a different nachas. One child will bring you nachas and Torah, another child brings nachas and Avaida, another child brings nachas and Gemil Chasadim. Every child is different, so you can never have enough of a good thing. That's again in Parshas Nosei Tovshin Mem, which was the first Shabbos after that convention sicha that launched this campaign where the Rebbe went public and, and very forcefully and very passionately about education against family planning. Uh, the Rebbe also says in the sicha of Parshas Shmois Tovshin Mem Aleph, we learn about just like Yocheved, the Eden could not enter Mitzrayim, which which actually signified the next phase of the birth of the Jewish nation until they actually entered Mitzrayim. They're in one state, and once they entered Mitzrayim and they went through the pain of being in Mitzrayim, that created the possibility of them to, after that, become a Jewish nation. And it all depended upon the birth of Yocheved. They were not able to cross that stage or enter Mitzrayim until that one more Jewish child was born, Yocheved. So too, Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, Yocheved and um, Amram and Yocheved, um, they did not want to have more children. They didn't want to be more suffering into this world. And just the birth of one more Jewish child, he became the redeemer of the Jewish people. So it's not just another child. And it can be that this particular child will end up bringing the biggest blessings, not only to the family, but to call Yisrael. And there's so many stories that, you know, when we have this discussion that people will say, yes, I ended up having one more child and that was a child that was able to give me the um, a kidney. It was the best kidney match for me and it was able to save my life. Or that particular child was the one who brought another different bracha to the entire family. And we see that we never know which child will be the one that makes that major change, that major impact. In fact, in a, in a letter that I recently saw from the Rebbe, 
I want to mention this, how um, the Rebbe writes, this is a woman who was actually um, having a hard time. Uh, it was a, a not safe for her to have, uh, or she didn't want to have another child. And the Rebbe explained to her that every uh, that the concept of family planning or the concept of birth control is not just a personal one, um, because when we choose to have another child, it's not a private personal um, decision. It's something that affects Klal Yisrael. We have to always look not just in our personal life, but in our personal life that also affects the entire Jewish people. Uh, and uh, how, and this is actually a, a, a letter from Yud Zayn Kislev Tavshin Yud Aleph. And I'm just gonna go straight to the English to save some time and just a little piece in the Rebbe's words, how the Rebbe says, um, uh, we are, you're certainly aware that birth control is not congruent with the Torah's outlook, which views children as a blessing from the Irish, from Hashem, which he conveys upon the parents. The Torah also asserts that the Jewish people have no private matters. Instead, every Jew is part of the entire Jewish people, and all the private matters of every Jew have an effect on the entire Jewish people. In particular, this applies to the present time after the heavenly decrees that brought about the Holocaust in which thousands of Jews died in the sanctification of Hashem's name. Elsewhere, the Rebbe also writes that when people know, if you if if it becomes popular to be on birth control, if we don't keep it a secret, if we spread the word, then all of a sudden um, one person learns from the other. Now, it could be you had a very good reason to go on birth control, it was a serious health issue or whatever the case is, but as soon as you tell it to another person, they may not know the reason why you got that psaac and they may take from you a lesson um, that it's a good idea in their situation. So it's important. I mean, this is not what I'm saying now is not the Rebbe's words, but a lesson we can learn that somebody who has a psaac to go on birth control for whatever reason, we don't share the psaac um, uh, in, in, a, in a public way because people may not understand or may take reference one um, from the other. But the Rebbe, of course, says, nevertheless, in a situation where the health of the Jew, a man, the woman, or the child, which the husband, the wife, or an existing child is involved, there's room for consideration for birth control, for the health of a Jew, as the Ramon states, is one of the paths of service Hashem. Therefore, in specific instances, the Torah recognizes the value of specific means of birth control. In this, it is difficult to outline general directives because the ruling depends on the nature of the difficulty which giving birth could cause a mother and also on the type of birth control, birth control used. Therefore, I would advise you that after discussing the matter again with your doctor, when, you instruct, when he instructs you which form of birth control he has in mind, you should consult. And here's interesting that the Rebbe writes, a Hasidische Orthodox Rav, a Hasidic Orthodox Rav, and here is opinion, because of course as Hasidim, we have a certain um, slant when it comes to this special mitzvah, may Hashem lead you in the right way that enables you to enjoy full health and drive nachas from your children together with your husband, etc. So I want to read that letter as well. And... Um, as I mentioned yesterday in the Sikh of Parshas Nasai, if we value every child as a bracha, the Rebbe says, Chas v'shalom, to push away with your hands, to push away a bracha that the Ebrister wants to give you. And the Rebbe mentions in the Sikh of Rishchad Shvat Hashem Mem, Aleph, how what, what we learn from our Mahais. One thing, you know, every one of our Mahais had a different mission on earth. We find that Sarah was involved with Achnasas Archim and she was Mikayeris Anoshim and Rivka and Rachel and Leah. Each one had a different Avadis Hashem. But one thing we have in common of all the four Mahais that they pined and begged and yearned to have children. And even those that already had children, 
Bar Hashem, they also wanted more. And this is a lesson we can learn from our Imahis. And here I forgot to write the Makar, I have to check it up again. And there, in another Sikha, the Rebbe mentioned something very unique, was a, a Sikha of Parshas Bamidbar, that who counts the Yidin? You know, the Havdil by, in America, when it's the time of the census, uh, who goes around to count uh, how many citizens there are? Uh, anybody. You know, people have nothing better to do. They have no job. They'll do some extra money. Like, whoever, anybody. But who counts the Yidin? The Nasi Hadar, Maish Rabbeinu himself, within the Siyim, with the leaders of the generation, they are counting the Yidin. And you would think that they should be busy learning Tyre or something else, like just all the Yidin passing by the Nasim, giving their Shkolem, count however the Yidin were counted, and especially Shevet Levi, that Maish Rabbeinu went from tent to tent. It was a Tircha. Here's the leader of the generation going from tent to tent, hearing the Baskel to count the Jewish people, which you could think you're counting numbers. We, we don't need a Maish Rabbeinu to count numbers. And here the Rebbe very passionately says, we're not counting numbers. This is a neshama. This is a yid. This is not just a number. This is something of so such tremendous value that the nasi hadur and the nasim are the ones who count these a, a Jewish person. And if we value an additional yid, not just as, a, as another number, I have nine children, eight children, two children, five children. It's not a, a child. It's not a number. It's not a census. This is a neshama that is so appreciated and so valued that the Nasi Adur is the one who counts. It's a lesson how much we have to appreciate the value of even one uh, more, one additional yid. And yesterday we also discussed, Pasha, for health reasons, we shouldn't mess up with the nature of how Hashem set it up to be. Then on page 11, we'll continue. What about spacing children? We already spoke yesterday. The Rebbe's clear answer to, to the letter of Rabbi Bernard for Neshei Chabad, and we spoke about Kishor Tzisi, Tzisa, that was in, in a continuation to that discussion. And then the Rebbe points out something so real, Yudgimot Tishrei, Tavshin Memdala, that it's something that we really have to ponder. Again, bringing the Abishter back into the picture. Our knowledge is very limited. We have tunnel vision. We know how we feel now. Maybe we could project our lives for the next few months, a year. How much longer? But the Eirisher sees the whole future, the whole vision, not just in your personal situation, not just what's best for you and your husband for the immediate. Now, sometimes now we go through a very difficult time, but it'll pass and then we can, then the horizons can expand. So the Eirisher makes the decision based on the full picture for the Neshama, for your family, and for Gans Kali Yisrael, for the entire Jewish people, when another child should be born in this situation. And often parents will say, you know, in the moment when I had those children one after another, it was chaos, it was so overwhelming. But now 10 years later, 20 years later, how much we appreciate, how much we appreciate the fact that our, the siblings have each other. And even when they're close in age, they could connect to each other in a very real way. Maybe when, when they were young, there was sibling rivalry. I mean, I could talk about that a lot if we're going to have a Fabringen. I can imagine, uh, you know, my 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 parents, Baruch Hashem, were blessed with children. And the first uh, probably five or seven were like 12, 14, 15 months apart. And I have a younger sister. And it was hard for me. My older brother, my younger sister. Uh, it was hard. It was a difficult. But then, as we aged, as we aged, as we matured and got older, how much we appreciated each other so much, and just the the strength of having each other, the gift of siblings. Um, just as we age, our parents, you know, have a different role in our lives. But the support system that we have one another, and how we could be there for each other in the times of simcha and 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 in the times of pain. And at times of joy, the, the amount of hugs and emotional hugs 
and the support that we receive is the biggest gift we could give our children. In fact, about, it's probably like by now, like 10, 15 years ago, if somebody could Google it, there was a study that was cited in the Time magazine. And there's a whole study from psychologists, what's more important for the emotional welfare of children? I t like it, what's what what's has balances the equation one way or another with more uh, severity. If there's only a one parent family versus a two parent family, or the amount of siblings that a child has, and the conclusion was that long term, it's more important more siblings because as we grow older and as we age and go through life. Um, our parents aren't there for us anymore for whatever reason. And our friends, you know, they come and go, they're transient. But having our blood relatives there, especially as we mature and as we go through the decades of life, the emotional support psychologically for the emotional welfare, um, having more siblings has an impact on emotional health as we go through the future decades of life. So even in Der Chateva, we could see that we don't know what the future brings at all. But even in the way of nature, seeing a far picture, like perhaps now our view is limited for the here and now, but the Abishur sees the broader view, again, not just for your, your the neshama and not just for your personal family, but in the picture of decades or or Gans Yisrael. The Abishur sees the full picture and it's something that we don't know. And another point, Teva HaToyv Lehetiv Yudimul Tishrei, Tavshem Memdald, and Chavdal Tevis, Tavshem Memalif, the Abishur is good. And the nature, the nature of somebody good is to make it good for someone else. Is the Abishter mean? Is the Abishter cruel? Does the Abishter want to punish us? Like, what is really going on here? So we have to step back and say, wow, the Abishter is so good. He trusts me with such a precious item. He wants to give me the greatest blessing. He wants to give me the greatest gift. And we have to say, who is the Abishter anyways in the first place? What is the Abishter? And we go back to that connection to the Abishter and that betachan, that the Abishter is, is good and he wants it should be good for us and good for this neshama. Um, our relationship with the Abishter will have a very big impact on our view of, of uh, allowing the Abishter to bestow us with another gift. So number five is uh, a real ish, a real dilemma, of course, just like the previous ones. Every, for every another woman, every dilemma will be something more true and something more real and touch her heart. And um, so we're here on page eleven for spiritual reasons. I'm afraid to have a child. I'm afraid my child won't be spiritually gifted or tuned in to Torah mitzvahs or whatever terminology you want to use that I won't see with my own eyes how this neshama will shine. I see my surroundings. Maybe I see already what happens of past. Maybe I see I'm afraid what's going to happen in the future. And perhaps why should I bring a child on earth that uh, perhaps may not end up fulfilling Torah mitzvahs the way I view uh, his or her need to perform Torah mitzvahs. And, it, and this is actually, the Rebbe addressed this, and in fact, in the only edited sicha that we have from the Rebbe on the topic of Turuvu to date, the one that I mentioned, it's in Chelik Chafei Lukut Sichas, this Parshas Noyach, Sicha Gimel, the Rebbe addresses this. And, uh, and and the fact that it's edited just gives it a, 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 a starkite, it gives it a strength, it's, it's more of a reality. And the Rebbe says, it, it because, the Rebbe actually brings up the question that the first mitzvah entire is Purovu, and after the Mabel, the Abishter tells Nayach, now you can go out of the Teva, now, Va'atam, and now, Purovu. It's the second time the Abishter commanded him to have children. But why was it necessary to have another command? 
because in the Teva, you know, uh, in the time of Tzara, uh, people have to abstain from, from creating more children. Yeah, husbands and wives have to abstain from each other. And now, when we go out of the Teva, Nayak thought that the Abishar was just when he said Purvu, he gave him permission to have children. But Nayak's thought was, why should I engage in creating more children? Look what just happened. An entire world was destroyed because the human beings misbehaved. Uh, why should I have more children? Why, if there's, if there's a possibility that they'll, it's true, the Abraham says he won't bring another marble. Maybe there won't be such a um, terrible destruction once more. But why should I witness children not following the path of Hashem? I'd rather abstain. I already had my three children. Shem, Chom, and Yofes. That's enough. I don't need any more. So the Abisha says, no, when I said Purvu, it's not a option. It's not that now it's optional, now you're allowed to, but it's a command. I command you to have children. And it's not your business what these children will be like. Don't mix into my business. And the Rebbe, conti and the Rebbe continues to bring also the example of Chizkiyohu, that Chizkiyohu knew that he would give birth to a son who was a big Russia, Menashe. Menashe was the one who put the uh, Getchke and the Heichal in the Beis Hamikdash. It's one of the reasons we fast. I don't know if it's Shivas or Tammuz or Tishabov. I, I forgot. He, he was uh, one of the biggest Rishoim uh, that the Gemara talks about. And Cheskiyahu knew it wasn't just a Chshash that maybe he's going to have a child that's a Russia. He was absolutely certain. He knew in Nevoa. And he abstained from his wife. He didn't want to um, stay in the marriage. He didn't want to um, create a child a Russia. And he was punished for it. And the Abishar admonished him. And he said, don't mix into my business. I gave you a mitzvah to have children. That's your mitzvah. And the rest is hidden from you. I don't have to tell you my reasons. I don't have to tell you why. You have to do what I put upon you. And you move on. And that's it. It's not a cheshbin. That's the Abishar's cheshbin. It's not our cheshbin. And um, the, the Rebbe continues, it just so happens that even though Menashe happened to be a very big Russia, but his child Yeshio was one of the greatest tzaddikim of the kings of Am Yisrael. And in his times, he upgraded the Ruchnius in Eretz Yisrael like never before. And it was an upgrade. And his descendants also were from tremendously um, a positive, had a positive influence on Kal Yisrael. Um, so this is something that the Rebbe says. Um, I just want to interject, like I said in the beginning of last year, I, I'm just here giving you messages that the Rebbe conveyed. Everybody has to take their personal situation, their stress levels, their, their emotional um, capabilities, them, their husband, their, the dynamics of the existing family. I don't want to give any blanket statements here, but of course, again, I want to reiterate over and over again, I'm here to convey the Rebbe's message as far as the betochen and the up, uplifting part. But the reality is that not everybody could be on that level every single moment, every single day, and have a total, um, totally bitul and mesir nefesh to the holiness and the connection to the Abishter. And therefore, we have to know our limitations and, of course, discussing with a mashpi and, and, and a rov if necessary. Here in the Sikha, the Rebbe also says in, in the part of the Sikha that was not edited, and you find that in Sefer Sikhas, the Rebbe adds another point that just having a neshama in this world with, without even the neshama accomplishing anything adds a type of Kedusha in this world 
that's immeasurable. You know, and also, you know, we have these situations in the end of life, you know, uh, what is Anishama is just breathing. It's not even doing a mitzvah. It's not even moving, not even aware. And just having an Anishama in this world, keeping it alive is, um, it, it causes a tremendous kedusha on this world. So the value of the birth of an Anishama is in it itself a tremendous value. And in fact, when we say that every single child that's born is a Iwa Moe, is a complete world, we don't call this child a complete world after he already created future generations. Just the fact that a child was born and exists without even moving from the moment of birth, he's already considered an entire world, even just breathing and existing. And the Rebbe continues to say that now is Tashamem Aleph, where the was so popular that we want Mashiach now. The children are screaming and singing, We want Mashiach now. If we want Mashiach now, of course, do your children a favor and bring Mashiach through having another child. Then the Rebbe continues and in a different Sicha, and this is the Shabbos Parshas era of that year, Tashamem Aleph, that the first Makkah was Makkah's Dam. Why was the first Makkah Makkah's dam? Because the Mitzrayim wanted to prevent Jewish children from being born. So what did they do? They closed down the mikvahs. They made it impossible for the woman to tithe. And the women did tithe with great Mr. Snefesh. And that's why the first Makkah was dumb to show that it's so important. Uh, they were punished for the worst, you know, the worst thing ever. And we have to make sure that the mikvahs are opened up again so the women in Mitzrayim um, could continue to have children. But it says that these women in Mitzrayim had children. And because they had Mr. Snefesh to have children, even when they knew that their children would suffer, it was a time of pain, a time of suffering, uh, a time of torture. They didn't know what would happen with these children. These children could have been thrown in the newest. The children could, it, it was hard. It was a hard time. And they had Mr. Snefesh and they found the McVeigh's and they and, and they had the children in a time of Mr. Snefesh. They used to bench them that because they had another child when it was difficult. And through this Nisayin, they had super special children. In the end, those were the children that had the closest connection to the Abishter. This is in um and we also have a sicha of in Purim and Shabbos Pashas Tafshemem Gimel in a in a similar in a similar similar thing. And here's another sicha that I personally found so um comforting and also so liberating. And this is from Vav Tishrei Tafshemem Dalit. And the Rebbe, Vav Tishrei we know uh is is the Rebbe's and Chana's yard site, and also Rosh Hashanah, we talk about the Haftar of Chana the birth of Shmuel and the Aftar of Chana. So there, um, there um, the Rebbe explains that Chana called her son Shmuel. And Shmuel comes from the terminology that I borrowed him from the Abishar. The Abishar lent me this child. And the Rebbe explains uh, that the Abishar gives a child to the parents on loan. And what kind of loan? So we learn, we know in halacha there are four types of guardians that that a yid gives another yid something to watch over and guard. There's the shemer chinam when he's it's for free, and the shemer sachar when he's paid for it, and then we have what's called the shayel, which is a borrower. And each one has a different halacha in case there's some damage that occurs um, to the item that you are supposed to guard and watch over. And the din of a shayel is, and again, a child is given to us in the form of a shayel, is that if the owner is right there with you when a damage occurred that was beyond your control, you're not responsible at all. It's not your, you're totally 
absolved of any financial responsibility for the damage that occurred because the owner was right there. We're not talking if, if somebody was maliciously um, negligent and on purpose um, did, did the damage. We're talking about a damage that wasn't done on purpose. So here the Rebbe says, a child, the Abishur is giving you a child on loan. But the Abishur is right there with you every step of the way. And you're not responsible if something happens to the child that you didn't on purpose uh, create a situation that went on purpose damage a child. There are many things that can happen as we raise our children that maybe we didn't know better. I'm adding this. Uh, we weren't sure about retroactively. Uh, we could say, wow, I wish I've done this better. I should have done that. And that, you know, we could always question ourselves, you know, like your mother, the mother's guilt. Okay, that's my own words I'm adding in. But back to what the Rebbe says, so, uh, mother has to know that she's not alone. She's a day, this child, the Abish, is right there next to her every single minute and is watching over the child. And the Abish is called, and the, the Rebbe says, the Abish is called a shutuf. He's a partner. He's not an absentee partner, Chas Shalom. He's an involved partner and he's taking care with you over this child. Again, Chof Gimel Ir, Tavshem already, the convention. And the fact that he's taking care and he's watching over, you're absolved of any responsibility if something happens and the, to the child and he's not um, um, whatever, not as you perceived him to be in his Avedis Hashem. Um, I, I, I do want to say there's a balance here that we have to also, you know, of course, take responsibility and uh, parenting um, styles and responsibilities do shift um, I would say every generation, but now probably every generation is not 30 years or 50 years or 100 years. Every generation could be every year or two years or three years. We don't even know. I know personally, um, I, they actually gifted me with can I and her children over a span of uh, more than two decades. And the way I dealt with my children decades ago is very different than today. And I have to put a lot of effort and a lot of work to reframe and my policies, my 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 ways of uh, of behaviors, it's a lot, a lot of hard work, and it's a constant avida. It never stops. But if we value a child for a neshama, it's not just a person of flesh and blood. They entrusted us. Part of it is taking an active role of finding out what suits best for this child in this generation. Sometimes we know for sure. Sometimes we don't know. We do take responsibility. It's not what I said before, like this shayel. Uh, you know, just Hashem is taking care, and we stand back. We're also a shutuf. We're an active partner. We have to do our job, and the Abishter will take responsibility for the rest um, in his in his alt in his wisdom that's way beyond beyond ours. We're not here for results. We're here to do our job with with um, responsibility and with care and with devotion. But the results are not up to us. The results are up to the Abishter. Now we have um, the next part, number twelve is about Shalom Bias. So Shalom Bias, we already spoke um, uh, a, a little bit yesterday, but in the opening, um, in, in the Sikha of that convention and the continuation um, there, we spoke more on Shabbos, Parshas Nosei, there was, it was happened to be Parshas Nosei, which talks about the Isha Saita. Okay, this is Yud Zayin Sivan Tosh and Mem. And uh, Isha Saita, it was not uh, the kind of most sneistical woman. You know, she, the, her husband had to warn her, please, like, don't stay alone with this man. So already she has some sort of relationship with a man that she's not supposed to. And the, the husband has to warn her, like, please don't be alone with him. And she was found to be alone with him. So it's already a rocky situation. And then after the whole process that she had to be shamed into admitting 
her guilt and then she was found innocent, you would understand that uh, the shown bias there can't be on, probably is not on the best uh, situation. And the Rebbe says, after she went through this whole process and her husband's there with her, the, the Tyra says right away, what's the blessing that we want to bless you with? Because she was innocent, she was proved, proven innocent, that you'll be blessed, that even Israel Azar, you're going to have a child. And if you had a difficult time with have a child, now it would be easier for you to have a child, and you know, things like that. The biggest bracha we could give you now, the blessing of a child. Now, the rest over here, I'm adding in this little piece. You would think, you know, nowadays probably modern psychology would say, after you went through such a trauma, you have to go to, you know, take a vacation, spend some bonding time together, focus on each other, build up your relationship. And once you have a, everything is restored, the best of health, whenever that will be, then you could begin and perhaps think of maybe welcoming another child. But Tara says the opposite. The first thing is we want to give you a bracha. We want to give you a reward. After you went through all this, we're going to reward you with a child. And not only is it a reward, but a very key element of Shalom Bayis is when we take away a focus of our self-centeredness and when we become mission-oriented, raising our family, it, it, it puts us in a position that we have to learn how to work together for the good of the family. And that is something that is a very important Shalom Bayis skill. Now, I do want to mention... Okay, just like we say, Taras Mashpacha is not the magic wand that's going to restore Shalom Bayis. You know, if there's bad Midas or other kind of dysfunctional um, um, dynamics going on between the couple, uh, Taras Mashpacha is not the answer, it's not the solution to upgrade the Shalom Bayis. Often we do have to stop and evaluate. And if, because we, remember, we said it's not the child that's the issue, the extra stress in the family will bring out the weakness. The extra stress and situation and the weakness is there's a weakness in the relationship between the husband and wife we stop and we create tools we invest in tools to upgrade the shalom bias um so that we can then um host another child and then of course sometimes in a situations unfortunate which which are not the norm but we do have to discuss if there's a suspect or a feeling of abuse, chas v'shalom, and, and uh, should you get pregnant right now, chas, um, because uh, who knows what's going to happen for the future, definitely please, if you're the least bit uneasy or scared, you must, must, must speak to the proper professionals on the rov as soon as possible so that um, everything is sorted out. Again, either the halacha, the mitzvah of pruvu is the one that is being fulfilled, or the mitzvah of taking care of your health. And of course, emotional health is priority as well. But uh, we have to consult with the proper channels in order to know what's, what does the Abisha want from us in this particular situation. Then we have miftzayim. You know, if I just went on shlichas and I want to prove to my boss or to the world or to myself or to whoever that we can start doing these programs and those programs and the other programs so that our shlichus should, we should bring all the even closer to Yiddishkeit. We could have numbers, we, you know, we have so many great ideas and finally we can fulfill them. But if I didn't get pregnant right now, I'll be so weak and it'll be, I'll be it'll impossible for me to run the Hebrew school or I won't be able to have the Shabbos guests that I want. I won't have energy for it. And for me, it's more important to stop to have children because I want to fulfill Pruvu and Ruchnius Look at that. I'm going to help the Abishter um, have more Yidin that are fulfilling Torah and mitzvahs. The Rebbe addressed this actually, again, Rishkadish Shvat Tavshemem Aleph, like way back when, when, the beginning of it all, 
this concept. And of course, uh, if, if we're the Abishir's Ashliach, we, we are going to do it the Abishir's way. Is it, we have to ask ourselves, where is this coming from? Is it coming from our Nefesh Elokis or is it coming from our Nefesh Bahamas? So what does the Abishir say in such a situation? So here um, in the Rishchei Shvat, again, going back to this point that the Abishir knows too. The Abishir wants, we should have Yidin that keep to our mitzvahs. Of course, it's the Abishir's will. He wants that as well. But he knows the full picture. And if he decides you should get pregnant now, and maybe in your limited vision, there'll be less Yidin that will do less mitzvahs for the here and now. But in the bigger picture, the Abishir sees that also. And he will make the decision what's more important in your life right now. To be zeicha, to draw down another neshama to this world, or he won't make you pregnant, and it'll take a little longer so you could work on being the carved yidden to Yiddishkeit. That decision is the Abishters. And furthermore, it could be that this child that you will give birth to will end up bringing more yidden closer to Yiddishkeit and enabling more yidden to do mitzvahs. And how many of us that are in the position of shlichus will tell you how children are such an integral part, and sometimes children could accomplish way more than the parents. And the Abishter knows that, and the Abishter takes that into account. Another point that the Rebbe mentions in that sicha is, so Chazal say, machshavta shel neshama kodma lemachshavta shel taira. The Abishter's machshava to create a neshama came before the Abishter's machshava, the Abishter's thought to create taira. The proof is, Chazal say, because if you look in taira, it says, Tzavas B'nei Yisrael, Daber B'nei Yisrael, you know, command the Jewish people, speak to the Jewish people. So obviously the Jewish, the, the Yid, the concept of Yid had to be um, already created before there was a Tyra. But the Rebbe says not only is it Kodma in time, that Yidin, the concept of a Neshama in Hashem created before the concept of Tyra, Kodma also means priority. A Yid, even without Tyra and without mitzvahs, is a higher priority than any Torah mitzvahs that the Yid will actually accomplish. And that is what we have to understand, that creating a neshama takes priority of helping another Yid fulfill Torah mitzvahs. And in that sikha, the Rebbe says, and you are, if you are already in the position that you could help Yidin, then the Ebrusher bends you without slocha in Zman, and we mentioned that already, that you'll have a, a, a bracha in time efficiency, they should be able to accomplish both taking care of your family and both taking care of the Yidin, uh, a Yidin that you want to help um, in, the, in bringing them closer to Tyran and Mitzvahs. And then there, another beautiful sikha, which is Bahar B'chukaisai Tafshin Lamed Aleph, which is way before, and it was in context, uh, again, of family planning. But here the Rebbe says, it was a sikha on Prikayavais, one minute, Baruchotan Lamed Very. And here the Rebbe explains that there were 10, the Mishnah says in Prakyavisberg, hey, there were 10 Nisim, Asara Nisim, 10 miracles took place in the base of Mikdash. There's a list of 10 miracles. And the first miracle that's listed is Lohi Pila Isha Meireach A woman didn't miscarry from the smell of the holy carbonis. And we'll soon discuss what that means. But the Rebbe said, you know, the other uh, other one of the miracles applied to more Yidin or more, perhaps more tremendous than this one. Um, the fact that the fire was never extinguished for all the hundreds of years that the Beis Hamikdash existed. I mean, that applied to Klal Yisrael on a daily basis. 
it, it rains in Etiostral in, in the winter. And that was a, a miracle that was much more astounding versus women who are pregnant, who didn't miscarry, sounds like a minority compared to the majority or a lesser type of miracle compared to a bigger type of miracle. But the fact that this miracle is listed first means that this is a very strong message for not just for a woman, but a message for Klal Yisrael and first and foremost to the women in Klal Yisrael. And what is the first and foremost message is that we know what it, it, there's a concept that if a pregnant woman has a craving for something, so Halacha says we have to feed that craving, otherwise she can uh, miscarry because the baby might want to kind of go get what, what they're after. So here there's a there's a woman that craves to eat from the carbonates, but those carbonates were not hers to eat. Um, and she wasn't allowed to eat from them halachically. And the reason she wanted to eat from them was not for a physical reason that they tasted, roasted meat tasted good, but the opposite, um, this, when they smelled the holiness of the carbonates, they wanted to ingest the holiness. Well, when you eat those carbonates, the holiness that they represented. And they wanted very badly to have those carbonates. And if they had that craving for those carbonates, um, it could naturally lead to miscarriage. And the miracle was that even though they had the great craving for these carbonates, still they did not miscarry. And the Rebbe says, what is the hayran of Ayas Hashem? that a woman can have a craving for spiritual self-fulfillment. She wants to feel good spiritually, but that's never at the expense of losing a child over it. That means she can have a tremendous craving, right? Of a high spiritual experience. And when that's recognized to be important in Ruchnias, like for example, um, bringing more even closer to Yiddishkeit or other public activities that she could do on behalf of Kali Yisrael and other leadership roles, but never at the expense of losing a child or having a less child. And this message is the first one of the miracles that are listed, even though it didn't apply again to the extent and, and to the extent both in the amount of Eden that it applied to or the uh, wow of the miracle, because this message for, for Kalal Yisrael, and especially for a woman, is so important that spiritual fulfillment is never at the expense of not having another Jewish child. And again, that famous Sikh of Parshas Nasai, Tavshin Mem, that followed the convention, the Rebbe addresses as well, you could see it inside, that don't worry, the Ebsher takes this into account, and he also wants more Yidin to do more mitzvahs, but if he decides you should get pregnant and as a result of that, there's a pause in the amount of mitzvahs you could help other yidin do, it was Hashem's choice of that priority. Now we'll go on to um, financial considerations. Uh, I think every single person <laughs> at some point in life probably experiences like, what, I have another child, I can't afford it, this is crazy. And sometimes when we ask this question, like, can I afford this? Um, really? Like, how am I going to have money? Like, another tuition? Another this? Another that? So I, I just want to reassure you that if Ayid has this question, it actually is a question that's even asked in Torah itself, which means it's almost like a Torah question. You want to be a responsible person. And that is in the context of, in Parshas Bahar, when it talks about Shemitah and then Yoivol. And the, the in Torah, the, 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 there's a quote, a pasuk, 
how a yitz asks, v'chisoymron ma noichal. How could it be if we don't take care of the farms for an entire year and sometimes in two years, how will we have food to feed our families? Just in the way of nature, it's dangerous. We can't starve. It just so doesn't make sense. We're not going to work the fields for an entire year and sometimes in two years. How in the world are we going to be able to survive? It just doesn't make sense. We need to take care of our gashmias. How's, and, and this is a question that could even be a tire question. Are we, be, are we being responsible as Eden? But the Abishta responds. What does the Abishta respond? Eden, the TVC as birchasi. I will command that my bracha will be poured into your money. That means there's two ways that we could serve, that we could live on this world. We could live within the laws of nature and everything has to make dollars and cents and has to make logical sense. Or we could connect to the Abishter and make the Abishter a, a real partner. And the Abishter is higher than nature and the Abishter controls nature. And the Abishter could even have miracles and opposites happening at the same time. And we have to remember when we connect to the Abishter, the Abishter actually made those miracles that the Yitin who kept Shemitah and kept Yevil, they did have the food, that the food lasted and lasted and lasted so long that they had plenty. And it was kind of, it was real. You were able to see in your own eyes the special bracha of the bounty that existed when we connect to something higher. And it's a constant avayda. Like Hashem did put us in the Olam and we do have an Avashah Bahamis, and we do live in a very physical world. And this question is not a question that's like a one-time question, and you get over it, and that's it. For, you know, Shara Betochen, um, the Rebbe uh, so often suggested uh, people to learn uh, where does come in the first place. So here are other themes. The Rebbe addressed this uh, a lot uh, about financial. It is a Nisoyen, and we have to acknowledge that. And I, I brought over here two quotes from the Friedrich Rebbe. One quote is, the Abish, we say, you know, we have to make a living. And the Rebbe says, a human being doesn't make a living. The Abishter macht a living. The Abishter is the one who provides uh, the sustenance. So we have to shift from, I need to make a living, versus the Abishter is creating, Hashem is making my living. And the Rebbe also says, the Abishter has great The Abishter has big pockets. Um and he could stick his hands in those pockets and just shower the golden coins all over the place. This is my muscle, not in the words of Friedrich But again, who and, and we'll, we'll continue with little messages. So first of all, the Rebbe says that every new child that's born, this is from Chafav Tavshin Mem and Chafdal Tevis Tavshin Mem Aleph, every child that's born is a keli for more brachas and parnasa. And when a child is born, and he's a keli that the Abishur sends more parnasa to the family. It's not just not just with this new child benefit from it, but it becomes a benefit for the entire family. And then in a different wording, but same message, a similar message, the Rebbe says in Parshas Yisrael Tashem and Dalit and Chafav Tashem and Beis that when Hashem's when a child is born, it arouses the Abishur's midas hachesed. And when the Abishur's Midas HaChesed is activated, it's Mashpia Chasodim to the entire world, Bligvul, all kinds of brachas. So a, a, the birth of a child is a channel for additional brachas, not just to the family, but here, like the Rebbe says, the entire world. Then Yotshva Tavshim Ma'alf, the Rebbe says, Hashem sometimes gives money in advance, a Tanasayin, to see how he will use it, if he'll use it, properly, but sometimes the Abishur gives the of limiting our financial 
you know, abundance to see um, our reaction that are we going to exercise our betochen and the Abishter as a test. And when the Abishter sees that we do exercise our, our betochen despite the Nisayin of having um, hardship, then the Abishter, when we pass the test, then the Abishter will give us, of course, with abundance. And this story I heard from Mrs. Esther Bukarski, who I also want to give credit. I, I listened to her shiurim in the past on Pruravu, and definitely um, the insights, uh, not just in the Rebbe Sichus, but in life perspective, definitely helped me um, personally and also with um, uh, the shiurim that I give. So I heard the story from her that there was a poor man who had seven children, and, and they were really starving. And he went to his Rebbe, it wasn't uh, Chabad, and to have a heter to stop having children, and the, his rabbi did not give him a heter. And at the, when he gave birth for the eighth child, he became very rich. And he went back to his rabbi, and he asked, like, why didn't you tell me? Like, I would have done it so much easier if I knew that after eight children, and by the eighth, you know, my the wheel will turn upwards. And his rabbi said as follows, that really you were destined to serve Hashem with poverty, because some Yidin are going to serve Hashem with wealth, and some Yidin... Hashem created and planned that uh, the avoida of certain Shamas are to serve Hashem with poverty, just like Hashem decides who is going to be smart and who will be less smart and will have these talents and will have those talents in different ways of serving Hashem. Some Eden will serve Hashem with wealth and abundance, and some are destined to serve Hashem with less, and that the equation won't change. But because the, but this neshama, that neshama was associated with wealth, baby number eight. So really, a baby number eight was going to be wealthy once he had to provide for his own family. But because you had Mr. Snefesh and you passed the test and you had that other child when it was difficult, the Abishab benched you that this bracha of wealth that was associated with child number eight already had overflowed and your whole family then were able to connect and to benefit from the bracha of wealth already. And you could also benefit as well. Halvai, each of us should see this with our open eyes. We could daven for it, of course. This idea of betochen, chafav, tashmen beis. Again, we have to work so hard to serve Hashem with betochen. The Abishim knows best. And even though it's hard, and even though it's difficult, and financially, it, 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 it doesn't make sense. And it's hard. But there's a certain betochen that we need to exercise in our vayas Hashem. And like the Rebbe says, we say, The Abish is able to provide food for the entire world. And not just Hashem could provide food for the entire world, but he does so with chain and with kindness and with and with rachamim, uh, with compassion. If the Abishter has the ability to provide the entire world with sustenance, surely he has the ability to provide it for you as well for one more child. Um, again, I want to bench everybody that Abisha should choose to be super benevolent and provide a, an abundance and our everyone's pain and suffering and struggles should um, be totally eradicated uh, immediately. But here, the Rebbe continues to say, so that's in the Sichis, and that Sicha of Noyach, the Rebbe says how the Abisha is a provider for billions of, of human beings surely can afford to provide for one more child. I also want to mention, um, I didn't write it here, but there's another sikha, just remind myself of, that there's a there's a command when Hashem um, put the mon, when Hashem gave the mon to the Jewish people in the Midbar, Hashem commanded the Yidin, we have to take one 
a jar of mon, and this jar always stayed near the arayin in, in, in the in the mishkan. And what was the purpose of this mon? It has to be a remembrance in the future that just like mon comes from heaven, so too parnasa comes minashamayim. That is true. We have to make a keli, and we have to do the keli the way the Eivishter wants us to make the keli through the channels that the Eivishter set up with honesty. And of course, you know, not only with honesty, but the methods that we we take to provide that keli. But ultimately, we can have a, a keli. It's only a keli, and the Eivishter is the one who fills that keli and provides the parnasa from heaven, just like the mon comes from Shamayim. And like the over here in the Sikh of Yitzvah Tov Shemem Aleph, the Rebbe says, just like Ertisro is called Eres Tzvi, it's a deer, just like deer skin could stretch and stretch, so too Ertisro could stretch and could accommodate many Yidin and Moshiach comes, even though Ertisro may seem a small space, although in the future it says Ertisro will spread further, but the, just the physical land can stretch and stretch and stretch to accommodate. So too, money will be, Hashem will stretch your money. That means there's a special bracha that our money will be the minimal money that we have is used only in good ways. We don't lose money. And we all know we can have small ways to lose money, you know, that extra parking ticket if you live in Crown Heights or the sanitation ticket or major ways, health issues or other loss, financial losses. Or we could actually um, see bracha in our own eyes when we um how the money stretches and how a little money gets us a long way etc etc and if we open up our eyes and just tune into it if we even keep a log we could see the brachas in small and big ways if we just open our eyes sometimes on a practical level when we talk about priorities you may want to actually um, um discuss financial planning because sometimes we think we want david takes care of the what the needs of eden Sometimes we want and we wish for things that maybe we don't need. And sometimes it's confusing. Is this a need or is this a want? Because needs Hashem does take care of and wishes and wants, it's extra. It depends on the situation. And sitting down with somebody else sometimes to prioritize just financially sometimes helps. As something else I want to add, so, so important is... Um, Okay, so you know, let me now stick to the Rebbe Sichas and maybe I'll add this later in the questions and answers because this is not something that the Rebbe addressed, what I, what I wanted to say, um, directly connected to Pro so we'll talk about it a little later. And one more little point before 9.30 because then we're going to go to the questions and answers. And that is sometimes a woman says, I don't want to get pregnant because my body will change and I will lose my natural beauty. I just have to. I just. I just have to add a little comical relief over here. Um, just a little story, you know. Um, there's a culture that you know less weight is better, and thin is better than. I don't know. Say thick. No, small is better than big, or thin is better than wide. Smaller sizes are prettier than bigger sizes, and I, I'm not sure, you know, if that's really um, right. Uh, but I'm not going to get into that discussion, especially with all the body image issues we have of today due to social media and what, what all the pictures that are depicted all over the place. That's a whole other discussion. But I do want to say um, two little things, and I'll get back to what the Rebbe says. So one is that I used to be really small and thin and petite, and my grandmother, um, Gerari, she it bothered her because, you know, when, when um, in, in, I guess in, in olden days, um, this one sign of abundance 
was when you were plump. You know, people who couldn't afford food were thin and skinny and frail, perhaps. But that was my, I, you know, I didn't eat much and I was petite and, and that's who I was. It just so happened that I um, had to live, Bashkacha uh, Pratis, I lived in an apartment upstairs from her for like a, a small period of time in my life. I happened to be pregnant at that time and I gained a tremendous amount of weight. I was like huge. And that weight stayed with me. And, and my baby that was born at that time was also huge, like 18 pounds at a few months old, like really like huge and plump, so unlike everything. And I remember the huge smile on her face when I, I came downstairs one day and maybe I have to stand up to show you this. But she told me, Now you finally look like a Yiddish mame. Azoi, on Azoi. You know, she pointed to my bust and to my, um, how do you say, and I say the nice words, but where the plumpness is evident, and she was beaming from joy. You know, a Yiddish mame looks beautiful that way. And I guess her bracha stayed with me forever and ever. So thank you, Bobby, for that beautiful bracha. And I feel very um, blessed um, to that Debrister, uh uh, that my goof was zeicha to bring uh, the amount of children that Eishter benched me in my life, and it's definitely a big bracha. But getting back to the beauty part, like I'm sorry for that, it, it wasn't planned and whatever. I just I don't know why I decided to share that. I hope some of you are laughing. I don't see anybody. I, I'm talking to my face, so I hope there's some smiles out there. But back to here. So there are actually in the Sikha Aleph, there was so in tune to women. And women, as you know, sometimes you know their beauty shifts when they're pregnant, etc. So there have mentioned two things. That first of all, the real beauty is Aisha Tsnua, but her real beauty when a when a woman's is happy, she has that simcha sachayim, she has that inner um peace because she's fulfilling her mission. And she feels aligned with her inner self, that inner beauty exudes and shines out. Also, there have been mentions that sometimes when you don't have something you, for a period of time, you appreciate it even more. And there compares it actually to the Dini Archaka, to the time of Archaka, that when you can't have something for a while, you appreciate it more when it comes back. So that beauty it comes back. I do want to say that I remember that Sikha very well. I was living in Montreal. And we, we, there was no internet, and we heard the Rebbe Sicha from the hookup, you know, in, in, in the yeshiva building, and we heard, you know, from a, from a, how do you call it, not a microphone, a speaker, you know, the Rebbe talking. And I remember I was sitting with my mother, and my mother was beaming, obviously, because, you know, she felt so validated by the Sicha, about the, all the thoughts that the Rebbe expressed about the beauty of having a family. And when we walked out of the yeshiva building together, so my father was there, and he, he actually, his beard turned white very young. And my mother and myself, the three of us were walking. And obviously my mother is like at least two decades older than me. And a neighbor of ours, a non-Jewish neighbor, turned to my father and said, Ma, you have such two gorgeous daughters. My mother was beaming. You know, the Rebbe just said, you know, even though I have so many children, I look beautiful. And this, right after that, this non-Jewish woman was proclaiming an appreciation of my mother as a beautiful woman. And I remember that I felt like, what? She thinks my mother is my sister. Do I look so old? Whatever. I had a different feeling about it. But yeah, I do remember that incident. But that sums up um, the official um, sikhs from the Rebbe that I will address. 
And now it's time for questions and answers. So we did receive um, uh, a few questions and answers um, through the email. Cassie, there's a strange um, vo noise coming. Is the noise coming? You don't hear me clearly? Now it's good. Okay, I guess it just took a moment. All right, so we'll have the questions and answers with the questions that came in via email. Um, and if you feel any of them were already addressed, you'll let, just let me know. All right, so question number one. What if someone who grew up in a large family resents her up upbringing? She hates the fact that her mother was always so busy taking care of kids all the time. She felt that her mother never had time or patience. And now she's grown up, married, and she's starting her own family. How could she get herself into the headspace of wanting a large family when she felt that she got the short end of the stick as a child? Um, so first of all, let's acknowledge that a lot of our um, our views on life and our thoughts and feelings towards not only mitzvahs, but also other other concepts in life are shaped by our childhood. It's a reality. Bashkocha Pratis, the Abishter provided a different type of childhood and even adolescence to every single year and every neshama. Hashem placed every one of us in a certain environment as we developed ourselves. Be it, now some of us have situations that there were physical difficulties, some of us emotional difficulties, some of us spiritual difficulties. That doesn't change the equation. That means where we came from is also Bashkocha Pratis. And if any, if we find a certain mitzvah difficult, we have to work with our mashpia. We have to work how to serve Hashem the best way from our challenges. That this young lady can learn that if this is the way my, if this is the way my I was raised and it caused me a negative reaction, I will learn the Rebbe's sikhis. I want to appreciate this mitzvah, but I will raise my family very differently. So a different type of method. So my children will be able to then appreciate the beauty of having children, despite um, this, um, at Dafke, they will choose to do very differently. I just I want to say in this context that um, one of my aunt, my aunt she, had a, she, she really had a very difficult time in school. She hated it. And it happened, and then how the Rebbe um, gave her a mission that she should Dafke be the leader of a school and a principal, at first a teacher, and then she didn't want to be a teacher because, because she experienced those difficulties, she will then feel for the difficulties of the students. And she, because she was put in that position, it was because the Abisha wanted her to experience firsthand those difficulties so that she can then benefit all the future children, that uh, students that she will be supervising. So again, it's all in the framework of Ashkocha Pratis and Avodah Hashem. Here it expressed itself in my childhood that, you know, maybe she was working very hard, helping to take care of the children, and she resented it. Okay, that's not an excuse. The misapproval still applies, and she'll do it differently, and she'll learn more about it, she'll learn to appreciate it. And it could be the same can apply for many mitzvahs. You don't like how your Shabbos table was. Your parents didn't provide a beautiful Shabbos table. doesn't mean you're not going to have a Shabbos table. What's going to happen now is I want to do something different. I want to make sure that the children I raise really appreciate Shabbos. I'm going to put thought into it because I personally had that pain. Hashem put me in that painful situation so that I, from my pain and from my difficulty, I will find Hashem in that difficult spot. And not only will I experience get kite in my difficulty, but because of that challenge, I'll be able to provide light 
in, in similar situations for the Eden around me, which could be my children or my family or my husband or whatever else. I, I just want to say that um, this, this um, really probably there's so many answers to every single question and probably ideally there should be a, a kind of a panel of a few people because I'm sure there are different answers and different people it comes to their mind um, some of the questions you know, we could see different ways the questions that came in earlier um, again I said I consulted with Mrs. Esther Prokarski a uh, senior mashpia for many many women and knows this topic very well you know because I wanted to share insight and different examples so today we're going to make do, but it's not the sum total. I'm sure there are many more answers to different questions. And because I don't see the person who asked the question, I have no idea if this particular answer resonates with her or not. She might need something more. Um, it's so individual. So I don't want to show them anybody should feel, oh, she's just giving a pat answer. She doesn't understand my pain. She, she doesn't get it. Sometimes when a, a speaker is answering to an anonymous question, um, it makes it super difficult because we don't see the person's reaction. We don't know if they're nodding. Yes, that's what I need to hear. That's so validating. That's so comforting. Um, for, for all I know, this answer is irritating the questioner because it's totally not what she meant and it's not what she asked. And, you know, so I, I, I apologize for that in advance. And I urge everybody to please pursue with your mashpia, with other mentors, just pursue, pursue, pursue until you find that place of peace. Thank you, Mrs. Mrazov. And yes, as we said, every you know, everything is in consultation with your own mashpia. I'd like to just take a brief moment before I go on to the next question that, that if there are any additional questions, you can email them to crifkin at mikfu.org. I'll do my best to um, check all the questions before we end tonight's program. Right now I'm addressing the questions that came in yesterday. Um, are we expected to have many children and therefore be a stay-at-home mom? Is there a mitzvah to be having children if someone else is gonna be, end up raising them? Is it okay to work out of the house? Is it only okay if I work out of the house for chinuch? Okay, so again, we have to focus on what is our priority and what is a mission. You know, our mission is and the Rebbe spoke about this numerous times, and we have to always reorient ourselves as what is the mission and what is the goal and what is the identity of a Jewish woman, and especially as a woman in Chabad. Our priority as Jewish women is to raise Jewish families and to nurture Jewish families. And in all times and in all times of history, it was always the priority and the identity and the mission of the Jewish woman. We do have to face reality that many women are put in the position for whatever reason. They have to provide financial support to their families. Sometimes they they are in chinuch and on shlichus or whatever. If it's a mission of ruchnius or a practical reason that they have to have some form of employment, or maybe some women need it's difficult for them to stay at home with their children. I mean, my mother actually she had an answer from the Rebbe that, that when she was having a hard time with her children, one of her questions was that maybe if she stays home instead of teaching twice a week, uh, she would have more energy for the children. And and when she told the Rebbe, when the Rebbe asked her and she responded, she actually enjoys the teaching. The Rebbe said it's important for every Jewish woman, for every woman, every mother to do something she enjoys on a personal level, because when she has joy and simcha, she could actually then do a much better job in the chinuch of her children. So there's a combination of many factors. It's very individual. But the bottom line is we have to know what's the ikr, what's our priority, and what's secondary. Our priority is raising the children, um, not just giving birth to the children, but nurturing them, 
raising them. Again, nowadays, we know so much more about emotional health, being a, a mother that's connected, that's present, that's mindful, that's there for the children. And at the same time that we know how important it is, we have this tremendous insight of the distraction of the phones and the media. And instead of speaking to five people a day when there was only one phone and only one phone line, and if you're busy with one person, there's no way even another person can even reach you. Now we're almost in the position that we have to be, have contact with multiple people very quickly, right away, and that's such, or know what's going on in the media and the news and respond to, to people who are asking us questions or family situations or situations or employing situations. And there's so much more distraction. And at the same time, we know how much more important it is to focus and that nurturing and connection and being present and being mindful. So the answer is priority. It's not an equation that a mother can only be away from her children X amount of minutes, X amount of days, X amount of hours. It's amount of priorita prioritizing that no matter what, what comes first is my, my, my family and my family life because that's my mission as a Jewish woman. And everything else is secondary. And we have to make sure um, to implement whatever we need to put into place so that this comes to fruition. But one does not have to be mutually exclusive. There could be many stay-at-home mother, mothers that are not present for their children, can become extremely resentful because they're not fulfilling any talents. They're not there for anyone else. They're only there for themselves. You know, they live in their own little words and become resentful and, and, and feel overburdened. That's not healthy either. So the answer is, everybody, please consult with your mashpia how to make the right priorities that, number one, your children are, are your top priority. And that has to be clearly evident and has to be expressed in numerous ways that that's never questioned. And at the same time, yes, we have to take care of the Jewish people. Let's say if it's Chinuch, you know, the famous answer, when after the, after the Rebbe spoke about Chana, uh, that she stayed home for the first two years, and, and how the Rebbe mentions it's the Haftarah of Rosh Hashanah, the first day of the entire year. We want to set the tone for the new year. It's interesting that in Shul, the first day of Rosh Hashanah, the first day of the new year, what message do the entire colleagues have to know? The role of a Jewish woman. And the Mr. Snefesh that a Jewish woman has, that when she had that child, she stayed home for two years and she did not go to Shiloh to experience the God, the Halukite in, in Shiloh. And not, not only was it not a personal um, self-fulfillment, but she also, they, you know, Elkanah and Hannah, they went each time they traveled to Shiloh, they went through a different route so that they could bring more people to the Mishkan. It wasn't just about personal fulfillment. It was gathering other Yidin to become closer to Hashem. But her priority was, for those first two years, she stayed home to make sure that she did not leave. She could have, the Rebbe said she was a wealthy woman. She could have hired babysitters to take care, et cetera, et cetera. But she she stayed home to she, to nurture this gift, this child that Abishu gave her for those first two years. And after that, of course, uh, many women, especially in the field of Chinuch, asked her right away, does it mean we should stay home and stop and go back to our children? Maybe we're doing the wrong thing. And different, it's interesting that different answers were given to different people. One answer was that the fact that they're devoting themselves to the rabbim, to the klal, they'll have an extra siyata deshmayim when it comes to raising their children. And so another answer was given was that these children are our children as well. And it's not other people's children. We're taking care of Hashem's children and they also have to be nurtured in certain ways. So it's not black and white, and it's not either or. It, it, it requires um, introspection and definitely consultation every step of the way with your mashpia to make sure the right the right uh, balance is there and priorities. 
Thank you so much. Okay, we have a few questions that are similar, but um, we'll ask them one at a time. And um, in the story that you mentioned where you said to the nurse, the baby was planned, planned by God. Why can't this, that just apply to our entire reproductive years from 20 to 40, that's it, or 45? Why do we ever have a need for contraceptives? Is there a contradiction that we would ever need that? Uh, uh, yeah, that's actually a very, very important question. And that's what makes it all the more harder. Many women would say, I wish I didn't have the choice. Like if I was the Havdila, how you call from the Quaker or whatever, we don't have medical interventions. Let's just be able to take care and that's it. And it's so much easier for me to sit back and not get myself emotionally involved in, in these decisions. It, it's so emotional um, when these come out, like, these, um, these decisions that have to be made or the contemplations or the hesitations. And the answer is, it's, that's part of Avedis Hashem, that the Abishter wants us to actually be involved. Ashutif. The, the, the Rebbe says that we are partners, and that's why we're rewarded as such. We're, we're partners in this, and we're involved in the decision. And the Abishter empowered us to be involved in this decision because the, the mysterious that we go through in order to make this decision and the back and forth in this consultation with our mashpia and with our rav, it's avaydas Hashem. It's a tremendous avayda to face or to go through the different steps that it takes to find out or to figure out what the Abishter wants from us at, at that moment. And there's so much in Chassidus actually about this concept, um, about uh, there's the concept of the Abishter, you know, the Abishter floods holiness into this world and we have no choice and we just follow along. That's but the Abishter wants the, the beauty and the added benefit of that in with our Nefesh Bahamas and in our circumstance and our very gosh mystical limitations, be it intellectual limitations or spiritual limitations or physical limitations, that we grapple and we focus and we have to figure out and we have to um, have that back and forth and we have to go through that whole process of figuring out what is it that Hashem wants from us. us. And when we have that, um, when we go through that cleansing and that process, there's a much deeper closeness that we connect to the Abishter because we're using our indiv individuality, our individual strength, individual weaknesses, and going through them and processing them, and all for the sake of Avedis Hashem. And if Hashem tells us through the Rav that we have to stop now from having children, and sometimes we wanna have more children, and we feel bad that we stop and we're challenging for another child. And for whatever reason, if it could be a husband's situation or our personal situation or an existing child, and the Rav says, no, you're not allowed to have a child right now. Now you have to focus on taking care of the physical or emotional welfare of yourself or your husband or an existing child. Sometimes it's hard to accept Hashem's will. But being part of that process is what brings us, A, to a deeper and closer connection to the Abishter, and also draws the Abishter down in our very physicality in a much more real way, is the combination of Esarusa Dela'eva and Esarusa Dela'tata, of course, and that's a, a very deep point in Chassidus, but we hear it over and over again about um, Hashem, bringing Hashem into the little details of our individual lives is really uh, Mashiach will come when we, Hashem is involved in every single detail of every single situation, of the multitudes of situations that come across in in different situations of, of many different Yidin. I hope uh, it answered the question. Thank you. And thank you so much for the broad perspective on the questions. It 
kind of answers into the next ones, but if there's details you want to bring out again, I'm going to bring it up again. Uh, can you please address when someone has a very difficult pregnancy, spending months in bed, throwing up, but wants a large family? What is the right thing to do? It affects the children when the mother is not available for the nine, 10 months of pregnancy. And again, the answer is, this must be discussed with your mashpia. We cannot say across the board, whoever has HV, uh, only have one child, only have two children, only have three children. You know, it's very complex, very individual. And again, this is the Vedas Hashem. We have to consult with our mashpia, consult with our Rav, based on the personal dynamics and capabilities of your specific situation and your specific, again, we elevate time, we elevate space, we elevate details, we elevate circumstances by bringing Hashem into the picture. And that's the advice of Hashem. Let's bring the Abishar into this picture. And the Abishar created a certain picture for you to bring Hashem into that specific space. And my question is not, I want a child. My question is how to bring Hashem into this space do I, or this situation. Do I have a child and that's how I bring Hashem into the situation? Because that's what Hashem wants. That's Russian Hashem for me right now. Or is, is withholding a child in my specific situation is how I bring Hashem into this specific situation. Yesterday, it seems that you mentioned a couple of examples of when a woman is on birth control and it's terrible for Shalom Bias. So how could it be that sometimes birth control is the answer to repair Shalom Bias? So I think we addressed that before, that we talk about generalities, such as we said, Karsam Shpacha works wonders in healthy Shalom Bias, the Rebbe says about that, but there will always be unique situations where it's a specific type of extra trauma, dysfunction, mental health situations that require something much more than the regular. And we have to acknowledge that. Again, the Eivishter makes that decision. What is going to happen to you? What events, what circumstances are going to come your way? And how do we find Hashem in that specific circumstance? Again, it's not a one-size-fits-all. In general, general road is for the Rabbim, it enhances Shalom bias when we work on raising a family. But there'll be many situations where we have to stop and treat an underlying condition, a special situation to restore a certain degree of Shalom bias in order to accommodate more children. Thank you. Can we touch a bit upon the age or stage of life where women feel unfit to continue having children? How do we navigate our confusion? Can we assume that by taking care of grandchildren we'll be fulfilling the continued mission of bringing children into this world? Okay, so I want to separate the question in half. I mean, taking care of grandchildren is a wonderful thing. Always take care of your grandchildren. <laughs> but it's not part of the official mitzvah pur vu. If those are people that can't, for halachic or practical reasons, actually have physical children, Tyra says, teach them Tyra. You're fruitful and you birth children by... Um, teaching them Tyra, and there's other ways to fulfill the misprovu, like 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 I think the Rebbe says, maybe in the name of the Friedeker, I'm not sure, the first mitzvah is yid. so again, by helping another yid fulfill their potential, that's a way of provu, whether it's your grandchildren or other, other yidin, it doesn't really matter, so for sure, take care of other yidin, take care of children, that's a separate thing, but to fulfill the misprovu, it happens to be that in halacha, there's no a expiration date that once you hit number 40, 42, 45, 50, 57, it doesn't matter. There's no um, age on your passport that says, okay, now that you cross this age, the mitzvah now doesn't apply to you. Neither do number of children. Once you have three, seven, 10, 
97. There's no number either. So this all goes back to the original. It's a very individual, personal question. If you have a certain fear of having a child at a certain age, if you're afraid of miscarriages, you're afraid of giving birth to unhealthy children, if you're afraid of being stressed out, it doesn't really matter what age that is or what stage in life you are, it's always going to be a question that you discuss with the mashpia and a shayla you ask Rav. Thank you. You touched briefly on this, but now we're going to ask this question. And thank you for, you know, the beginning of yesterday, we, we opened with saying a bracha for Zara Chayavakema for all those who are struggling. So we have one listener who asked, how do those of us who are struggling with infertility or secondary infertility balance this concept of having children being our mission in this world when it's not really up to us or our choice as to whether we are fulfilling it? So whoever... Uh, raise that question. Thank you very much, not only for raising that question per personally, but raising awareness to our entire audience. Because here we are talking about, can we handle more children? We have to be aware of a huge population of people that would love to have another child. And sometimes you look at somebody else and say, well, they're taking such a long break. Uh, they got a head from a rub. And really they're, they're halting to have another baby. You don't even know what's going on behind the scenes. And you have no idea how many miscarriages and maybe they just suffered. So we have to be sensitive to that population. As far as how, how to fulfill our own mission when we're not benched with the amount of children that we want to have, that's a whole separate discussion that I think requires an extreme sense of se sensitivity um, it's not something we discuss publicly. This is something very, very, um, a very touchy subject. It's very unique, and I, I, I would, I would, I would urge uh, women in this situation to actually gain support, gather support and mentor mentorship from women who are in similar situations. Uh, they can have ideas how to feel um, self fulfilled. It's true that our identity as women like we mentioned before, is first and foremost revolves about family. And this question could also be broad, broadened to a, a ever-increasing population of young women who would love to be in a marriage and would love to have children. And unfortunately, Hashem hid the bracha of finding their zivok for the time being. And it's very painful for this population to be surrounded by friends and family who are Baruch Hashem blessed with children. And, 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 and it's, it's, it's painful and it's challenging. And it's definitely an assayin. And that is a separate discussion how individuals could find fulfillment. Um, but I, I just want to mention one thing, which is Chava was called Im Kol Chai, the mother of all life. And Rashi says, if that's the case, I think it's Rashi, I'm not sure, she should be called Chaya. It happens to be that she's called Chava with a Vav because she doesn't only create life, a woman was blessed with the innate ability of nurturing. Vav is the Russian Haiva, the ongoing nurturing of life. So those of us who are not blessed with the idea to be able to create life at the moment, we definitely have the capacity to nurture life, to be the nurturing woman of the generation. And there's a reference in a, in a letter from the Rebbe uh, I think it was Vav Tishrei Tavshin and Aleph, that letter that the Rebbe talks about Chana. It has three letters. It was the year that Rosh Hashanah came out on Thursday, Friday, Shabbos, with the Yom Tavim, all about the number three. But in a footnote underneath, there was a reference that not just are women the Akaris Abayis of their personal home, but they're the Akaris Abayis of Kol Beis Yisrael. And if we see our role, that our mission is not just, um, our identity is not just connected to our personal home, 
that we're gifted, but the role of the Jewish woman is to care and to nurture the entire Jewish people. Each one of each woman could find a way in a niche how she could provide nurturing if it's not for her own family yet, and very soon they should bench this woman and everybody else with, with their zivog and to be able to raise their own fam, bring their own family and more children to, you know, into their personal family. But they could, they, they find their role in nurturing Kol Beis Yisrael, how they could nurture Kol Yisrael with their gifts and their talents, whatever they may be. Thank you so much for those encouraging words. Sometimes, next questions. Sometimes we see our children struggling to raise their families and we wonder if there's a need for them to take a break. Maybe they're even asking us for our advice. What's our responsibility as grandparents? Okay, um, parents mix out of your children's lives. <laughs> figures for sure. If anything, you provide. If you see they're having a hard time, what could you provide? Money for help, babysitting services, the f number one, see what you can provide to make it easier for them. But to dispense advice is very, very tricky. And, and you're going on, on on very dangerous ground. And if it's some, if you feel like it's a dangerous situation, ask your mashpia how to navigate that. But the general rule is um, you don't mix it in your children's lives. If they're old enough to get married, um, they'll make their own decisions. And, but if there's a danger involved and every yid is responsible for another yid, whether it's their children or, or else, if you think there's a danger, You'll consult with your mashpia, your rav, how to navigate such a delicate situation. But in general, if you see somebody struggle, lend them a hand, help them, see what you can provide for them. Thank you. We also, I, I just want to add another little point. You know, as a mother, we want to make it easier for our children. It's hard to watch your ch children struggle. So you know, remember when you're like uh, one year old starts to walk, and you watch them like almost fall, and they pick up, and like you're like, mm, I hope they don't fall. But when they fall, kind of you know, you pick them up, you give them a smile, you scrape up their knee. You know, part of growing up is to go that, that go through that pain and uh, process, and then you grow up. A lot of us forget that we went through a very hard time ourselves, and our mothers kind of stepped back, and that was life. Like you went through that difficult time, you were raising children, it was a little crazy. And they provided support, but the end was that we had a beautiful family. Sometimes it's hard for us to watch a struggle. Sometimes we have to kind of detach and and just watch from a distance because being too involved sometimes, if it's too difficult for you, you may have to find a way to detach and, and kind of allow it to play itself out. Again, unless it's a dangerous situation. Oh, thank you. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Um, you spoke a lot today about financial difficulties and this question came in before. So, but we'll just readdress it one more point. What can we, what can be done if there's a, such a limited amount of money? I can't afford to move to a bigger place. School tuition is so much. Do I really just keep on having more and more children when I don't even see how I can take care of them? Financially. So we, we addressed that a lot. I just want to say there was another sicha. I remember that very clearly because I lived in an apartment with quite a number of children. And as the children grew, um, it was just impossible. I didn't have enough, like, I realized that when all my children were here at once, like when the Bachram come home from yeshivas, like the rooms were so filled. And also the, the bigger they got, their clothes were bigger, the closets were overstuffed. And I, I and financially sort of, it still did not make sense how we're gonna afford a house. I mean, in Crown Heights, I mean, just not gonna work. Not on our salaries or not, it just didn't make sense. But then I happened to listen to a sicha, and actually I just heard it. 
I just listened to it again today because I wanted to, uh, or yesterday, I wanted to hear this because again in the original, so the last few days I was listening again and again to make sure I'm getting the words right. And I'm sorry I didn't put it down on the paper, but in one, Sifa Derba said that if if they need a house, the Abishim will provide for them the house. And when I heard that, I said, okay, the, Abish, the Rebbe said he will. The Abishter will, I just have to make the Kaylee. And with Hashem's help, <laughs> through tremendous miracles, we're able to buy a house that Baruch Hashem is miraculous how um, it went up a lot in value and it, it was a real bracha. But I had to be ready for it because sometimes um, when we live in our little, um, our, our, our little, um, we confine ourselves we limit ourselves more than the Abishra limits, limits us. Not everything has to make dollars and cents and not everything has to be a super budget. And sometimes we have to expand. And when we expand on our horizons uh, with the intention of making it easier for the children that, we're, that Hashem gave us and that they need a house and we don't have four children in a one bedroom house anymore. We don't live in Russia. We don't live in Neville. We don't live in Spain of a thousand years ago. We live in America or wherever we are and the standards, uh, the neshama deserves, if it's a ben melech, a child, it's just a child, the Amish child deserves the best. And if they deserve something more and we expand our horizons, sometimes we see that the Amish just goes along with us. But there's another very important point I want to mention that sometimes is very difficult. And that is the Abishra created a system in Yiddishkeit of Mashpia and Mekabal, or uh, Oshir and Evyayin. And all of us, of course, that means the provider and the one on the receiving end, or the rich or the poor. And the rich provides for the poor, and the Mashpia, the provider, provides for the recipient. And all of us really want to be on the giving end. It's our nature. No, no, none of us feel good to be on the receiving end. But sometimes we have to step back and we have to understand that the Abishter created such a situation, such a community situation, Yidin of all generations. There was Bikr Chaylim and Achnasas Archim and Gemilas Chasadim. Who was it created for if not for people in need? So if you're someone who's in need, we have to let go of our ego and let go of our pride. And we have to sometimes, yes, take from the Tzedakah or from the Gemilas Chasadim and we have to reach out. And sometimes I remember I was in the situation a couple times and, and uh, it was very painful, it was very difficult. I remember once, I don't want to get personal, but I was like in tears that I had to ask. And then um, Mamashbi explained this to me that the Ibishter sometimes creates a situation. Of course, we all want to be the providers. So there's two points over here. Bringing, being on a receiving end is not something to be embarrassed about. If Hashem puts us in this position, then we, we have to receive. It's part of Yiddishkeit, part of Jewish communities, that there's chesed if we need the kindness of us of girls coming to help us out supper time and bedtime in order to manage our children. That's avoidus Hashem. It's part of Yiddishkeit. And sometimes the solution is just soliciting help in many different ways from the people around us so that we can accommodate if it's the financial situation, if it's the physical situation, if it's the emotional situation, whatever it is. But the second point I want to mention is being on the receiving end, every yid is both a receiver and a giver. Now, every yid has something to offer. It could be that at this moment I have to receive financial assistance, but at the same time, what could I give to Kal Yisrael? So I can't give money. I could give a listening ear. I could give a talent. I could volunteer some time. So we have to know, the world exists on kindness. 
But kindness is not tit for tat. It's not that if I, if you went, if you gave me a thousand dollars for stucco, so I could get my child to school, I don't have to give you back a thousand dollars. I mean, it's not gemilas chesed; it's stucco. But I will then take something I could give to give back to the Jewish people. And every yid has something to offer. And sometimes when we give, even if it's a small capacity, it could be a listening ear. It could be I'm waiting outside for the bus anyway, so. Every Monday, I'll wait for your son also, so you don't have to come downstairs with your newborn baby. This is just a matter, you know, just think, what could I give to another yid? And sometimes when we give, when we, we, we concentrate on little things that we could give in the situation or the gifts or the talents that we can give, doesn't have to be financial, then it's easier for us to take financial financial assist, assistance and stock on money when really nobody really wants to be in that position. Again, we discussed, I think, a lot of other things before. Um, I don't like to, to share many stories of when, you know, Hashem gives miracles, Hashem provides. Um, I, I, I don't know how people will take it. I don't know the audience. I don't see any audience. But again, take these tidbits and continue the discussion with your own mashpia. It is a voida. It's a voida Hashem. Shara betochen is a must. It's a must. I remember in seminary how a woman, not Chabad woman, how Margaret asked her to teach us Shara Betochen, just listening her stories of Betochen and financial matters, like in, it's not like in the times of the Balshemta, but in America, like a couple decades ago, for me, that was such a like lesson in life that there's something called Eberster and there's something called Betochen and there's something called living a life connected to something higher. I do want to mention at the same time that communities need to take responsibilities. And if we look around, Bar Hashem, there's so many maestas in the community to take care of. Again, Hachnasas Archem and Bikr Chaylim and Halvayas Ames and all the other, you know, so many. And maybe it's time that, uh, you know, financial assistance for large families, maybe we have to upgrade that or tuition breaks, etc. I mean, maybe you are not doing enough. And we do need as a community to examine, are we doing enough? for our community to be assistance of the people that Hashem did not provide parnasa Barakhava and their financial situation is taking a toll on their life to the point that they feel they cannot even accommodate to have another child. I mean, I don't know if I have time Kasi, for a cute story. I, I, I'm just, just to add something cute to take away from the seriousness. I don't know, like how many more questions do we have? We're almost over anyway. We right? have three or four more questions, but we'll just okay, so go we'll on. More time. I remember years ago, I mean, how many years ago was this? I mean, there's a whole story behind it and I don't want to get into um, into the whole... I mean, there's much more I could say in the story, but I landed in Antwerp uh, to, as a talk about chassidus and tarsim shpoch or marriage. I remember many years ago. And there was a small group of women who asked me to stay one more day. Um, they wanted like um, extra chassidus. It was novel to them. And a lot of them were actually very wealthy um, from the Diamond District. And not Chabad, and part of the discussion was on Purvu, and we discussed this idea of the Abishter providing. And I remember one of them shared a story with me. I mean, again, Halavite should happen to every single one of us, like today and tomorrow. But it was just a unique situation that I want to bring in. How there was a family in Switzerland at that time, it happened very recently, at that maybe, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, I don't remember when that was. And they had like a, a large amount of children. I don't know if it was 14 or whatever the huge number was. And they were, they were really, it was a very difficult financial situation for them. And they didn't know what to do, if they could afford another one. And they went to their Rav. And their Rav said, 
um, no financial reasons are not a reason to stop having another child, even though they felt they, you know, fulfilled the Mr. Provo, you know, quite, uh, quite, quite bitter. And then um, she actually gave birth to child number, I don't know if it was 15, 16, 17, but one of those high numbers, I mean, compared to, you know, what other people had. And the day she gave birth in her county, a very wealthy non-Jew um, died and he had no relatives and no children. And he left his entire estate to the person in that county that had the most children. And because she had that extra child, she was gifted with an entire estate of millions of dollars. I mean, how have I? And then I want to make you laugh. But sometimes you just have to expect miracles. You never know when the miracle happened to you. It was like totally unexpected. So I'm, the reason I'm talking about it is because let's ask Hashem for tremendous miracles. Like, why not Davin? Like, let's Davin. You know, there's, and, and we're talking so much about Betachim, but I want to remind you there's an, another Mr. Call to Davin. That we should, sometimes Hashem gives us a lack. And Hashem gives us a painful situation so that we can actually turn to Hashem and daven a little harder. You know, pay attention to the words, to daven, to demand, to ask, to beg. And sometimes the Ebishur just wants us to connect to him in a much real way. And from our pain, accessing brothers that we really need. So again, he, he always has uh, two opposites. We have to be accepting. We have to have the tachin. Hashem knows what's good. But at the same time, we have a mitzvah to daven, to feel that pain, to daven. For ourselves and the people around us, they should give us all whatever we need. But I hope you are laughing and uplifted. That's the only reason I added it in because I feel so serious. I don't see anybody's faces, and I don't want anybody to be like serious and like, oh, you know. Well, so. I mean, we should all have such uh, amazing miracles in our lives for sure. <laughs> Welcome for all of us. Okay, our next question is, you know, connected to Puravu. The the question is, I've never heard. Is nursing a mitzvah from the Torah, or is it just optional? Is that something that is part of the mitzvah of Puravu? Okay, so there's no command in Torah, thou shalt nurse your babies. <laughs> okay. However, Chazal do say um, many um, benefits of breastfeeding. Uh, there's a lot said in Chazal. I don't want to give you a breastfeeding lesson right now. I do want to mention Rabbi Zirkinov Shalom, actually. I asked him this question years ago, both on the hashkaf of breastfeeding and also the halachas. Many halachas of women breastfeeding. Uh, do I have to wash my hands? If I'm breastfeeding a baby and I want to say my tillim in the meantime and it's quiet, do so I have to go wash my hands or could I? You know, all these kind of, kind of questions. And some of it Rabbi Bell actually edited and was printed. And I still have another chunk that still needs some work to do. But I just want to mention Rabbi um, Zirkin in this context. But definitely Chazal do say a lot about the benefits of breast milk and also science nowadays definitely will prove that breast milk is not just nutrition and it's not just Hashem's food, for, but there's much more um, in breast milk for a baby. So we do want to acknowledge the importance of breastfeeding. And of course, the original Meynekes for 24 months of proper breastfeeding never got her period. She wasn't meant to get her period right away, but they just decided nowadays her body's work different. Uh, hopefully those of us that know how to learn to breastfeed properly, sometimes that does help us um, that our bodies do work as in days by gone. And for those of us that it doesn't work, Hashem made that decision that nowadays breastfeeding is different than the old days. As not all of us have the opportunity to breastfeed the way we wish for life circumstance. It doesn't work for us. So although Chazal definitely say it's a benefit and science may say it's a benefit, but we have to be realistic. It doesn't work for everyone. And nobody should ever feel guilty. And maybe Hashem did create formula as a substitute and we don't have to rely on wet nurses and things like that. And sometimes that is a, a solution in order for us to um, be able to breathe and um, appreciate the children that we have and the babies. 
I do want to also say, um, I want to add that sometimes people have an attitude when they breastfeed, oh, my baby needs me, the baby's disturbing my life, I need my peace, I need my quiet. It, it, this, again, it's not just about the, it's not, the question is not about breastfeeding. The question, again, is about priorities. Babies do wake up and babies do cry and babies are needed, needy. And little children need a lot of attention and probably older children also need a lot of different type of attention. And motherhood is our priority. And chas v'sholem, we should never feel that the child got in our way. We have to reverse our mentality that chas v'sholem, a child is never in our way, chas v'sholem. Um, the child will feel subconsciously and then consciously if they ever, ever have a feeling of a mother that's resentful of a child that's disturbing their peace. So that requires, again, a good conversation with our mashpia, again, to recalibrate, or how do you say that word in English, or achieve that balance as what my life mission is and face that reality that, yes, children and breastfeeding mothers, um, yes, it does take a toll uh, in the sense that there's a certain commitment, uh, and, and, but that, that's what a mother does. Again, sometimes it doesn't work and no one should ever feel guilty, and there are situations where a woman just can't breastfeed. So I wonder if that answered the question. Again, I don't know what this question, where this question is coming from. I just want to put it in, in, in context, and I hope, I hope it answered that question. Thank you. For those who emailed me, if I didn't address your question, then I may have felt that it was answered already in the question and answers that we did. So we're just going to do a couple more, and then we're going to call it, we're going to end for the today. Um, I appreciate the clarity that having children is priority, and we should never have one less child for the sake of Ruchnius. However, is there ever a time that that means that if I'm, I have my children and now they're at a stage of life where I feel that they need me more or I'm having a difficult pregnancy. Does that mean that it's okay to be dropping um, some shluchos programs that I already have ongoing? Really, if I'm not doing it, no one's doing it. It's not that it can be given to someone else or delegated. And if that's the case, how do I convince my husband to get on board with that? He just wants the shluchos to be going full speed and continuing. Okay, so again, remember, whose shluchos are you on in the first place? If it's the Rebbe's the first thing I would urge you and your husband to do get together is to actually learn those sikhs on the inside where the Rebbe addresses this. Just have the right mindset. What comes first? What's priority? Delegating is also very important. Sometimes we know we're going to do the job better. I know myself. I like to do it myself. As soon as I tell someone else to do it, they're not going to do such a good job. It's not going to be so perfect. And then, and then I have to go after and check their mistakes. It's interesting, actually. They ever told my mother to have a cleaning help in the house. They ever said, don't check in the corners after the, to see if you have done a better job, job yourself. And I think that does not only apply to cleaning help, but when we raise our children, whatever we can delegate to others so we could prioritize so it won't be done so well. You don't have to look in the corners. You may have to close your eyes. But we have to know what priorities are. And, and that's why we have our mashpia, and it requires thought, and, and also not only thought, but lifestyle changes, because sometimes you may not realize how delegating something else that you thought, oh, you, it may be very helpful. And I, I remember years ago, um, somebody, somebody told me that there's no way, I, I can't have more children, it's crazy. And what was so crazy? She said, every month of Shabbos, by the time the Shabbos comes around, she's so nuts, like it spoils her whole week. What makes her so nuts? Because her husband works very hard during the week. And so he has to have a good Shabbos afternoon shloth. That's just part of life. So the entire Shabbos, she's taking care of the little kids and the bigger kids. And as Shabbos goes along, especially the longer Shabbos, the house gets messier and dirtier and the children get wilder. And by the time Havdalah comes around, it's just like chaos, physical chaos, emotional chaos, children in chaos. And forget it. She can't have more children. So that was the issue. What was the solution? She actually hired two people to actually come every month of Shabbos, a half an hour after Havdalah. And what did they do? 
They put it, they bathed and put the children to bed. They cleaned the entire house. She paid a lot of money for it. Like it wasn't, it wasn't easy. She went into the shower. She got dressed. She went on a date night with her husband. Every month of Shabbos, they could enjoy each other's company. She came home to clean house, children in bed, and she was able to appreciate the brachas she has and accommodate that. This is not like rocket science. It was just practical solutions sometimes can change the entire equation. So if you put everything out on the table, what could you delegate? What could you, what does not have to be done by you? How can you add, how can you hire extra type of help? Maybe another secretary, another organizer, another teacher, another substitute, you know, we're not irreplaceable. Sometimes our ego makes us think that only we could do it because it has to be done a certain way. In fact, what message are you giving to your community? I need to stop this now because I'm pregnant and I'm now creating a family. What better message are you giving to Kali Sroh that creating a family takes precedence over the preschool? I remember years, years, years ago, I was listening to a recording of the Kinesa Shluchais and uh, actually a Shlucha was saying that she runs, you know, a, a tremendous Hebrew school and she lived, she lived far and her father in Crown Heights was aging and he was ill with his final illness and she had to take uh, far trips like plane rides like then it became monthly and she had to take care of her father's needs because there's she was the only daughter or whatever and there's no one else to take care of it and she felt bad because her whole Hebrew school fell apart and there's nobody there and then she asked the Rav what to do because she has to take care of her father but all these children there's no Hebrew school anymore it fell apart and the Rav answered her what message are you giving your community that kibbutz Av running away and taking care of an ailing father in his old age, that is Yiddishkeit. And that is the message you're giving them that let the whole Hebrew school fall apart because what's priority in Yiddishkeit now? I have to take care of my ailing father. And Amir Hashem, after 120, you'll rebuild that Hebrew school, but that's what you gave the message to the community because you're doing what the Abishar wants for you to do at this time. So you have to ask a Shiloh what to do. So number one, delegating and really and really, really, that self-introspection, I'm all, am I the only one who could do it? I, I, am I irreplaceable? Like, for real? Like, really? And then ask Ashaira what to do next. Thank you. Um, I'm going to ask the last two questions that we have. If you feel they've answered them, you could say answered. We definitely are running a little late here. Number one, um, is there a certain age when a woman should stop having children due to her age? I believe you answered it. But if you want to add anything else there. No, no, I think it was answered. Um, in connection to, um, I guess, in delegating of the children, is it okay to have, uh, if we're delegating, does it need to be a Jewish caregiver? Is it okay if it's anyone watching our children? Is this okay? Like, so, yes. this, is, this is not a question of approval, this is a mishpi of the reality in your situation. Always, of course, a Yiddish person taking care of your children takes priority and also matter it also makes a difference what each of they are and what they're taking care of like who's saying my daani in the morning with your child you know the living maid or the mommy is saying my daani you know is she doing the laundry like you have to there, there's there's every situation is unique every situation is different and you have to also face the realities i mean evet knani was part of a jewish home it's tired to have evet knani the question is what did the evet do you know a shifra yiddish a shifra no when she turned 12 she can't be a shifra anymore so the household help in her sister all those years were the non-Jewish help. Now it could be the society was that the mothers were present. They didn't go to work. So the babas and the mothers and the sisters, they all lived, you know, these enclaves and they're all, all, all they're able to help each other. And the Evid Kanani only did the physical work. I mean, that's ideal. That's how it should be. Um, 
but I, I don't want to make anybody feel guilty if the only one is available in their situation is a non-Jew. But ideas, priorities, like what is this non-Jew doing in your home? And both halachically, you know, the laws of kashras or whatever, and also emotionally and spiritually, you know, what is really going on here? And where is the attachment to? Is this child being so super attached to the non-Jewish nanny? Or is the mother the primary attachment person and the nanny is just there for whatever it is, for, for kind of as a secondary situation that the child could feel and know who really is the go-to person, who, who is the priority caregiver, who is the one that they feel super attached to. So I, I, it's it's wrong for me to sit here when I don't know who's asking the question to answer that question properly. I know what I was able to do personally. And even though I had to pay a lot more money, it just happens to be that in Crown Heights, there's much more availability to have Jewish babysitters, even though financially I had to hire a separate um, non-Jew to do the physical work in the house, you know, the hard work, the cleaning, because the Jewish babysitter didn't do that. Uh, you know, people do something, but it's available. Maybe it was a little harder to find the right person, et cetera, but if it was a priority, it was available, but I cannot say that in every city of Shluchus, we have that availability. So it's, it's, very, it's a unique question, but it's also a question of priority. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, this is our last question for tonight. It was addressed definitely in part, but due to its centrality and its broad vision of the entire picture, I'll, I'll end with this question. Um, it seems to the Rebbe Sichus not to be spacing children. So shouldn't I just have bitachin that Hashem won't give me a child before I'm ready? If I'm mixing in it all, am I showing that I don't trust Hashem? So we answered that at length. And it happens to be that Abishter, like we talk about in general, the Rebbe is definitely like, limiting the across the board spacing of children just because it's convenient to space let's say uh definitely definitely there are many situations where people need a break or a breather um for whatever reason of, of stress that they're going through and that's definitely available and no it's not that just let the to run the show and don't be involved it happens to be that this is a mitzvah that we're shutfim it means we're partners the abishter created the situation that we are Part, not only is the Abishter and the wife a partner, but the husband is also. And all three opinions are definitely taken into consideration. And we have to face ourselves and our unique and special situation. And if there's uh, going to be, um, there may be situations that, yes, um, discuss with your mashpia, discuss with the Rav. Your mashpia could help you word the question to the Rav. The way we ask a Shaila will have a big um, impact on how the Rav will respond. So the importance of the mashpi is to help you with the wording. Like, what really is the question here? And also, did I explore options to make life easier for myself? Are there any other options? Sometimes an outsider, an objective party could help you explore. Maybe there's another option that will help us accommodate another child. Like, maybe there's something new in the equation. Maybe there's something different. Huh, I never thought about that before. Maybe it will make it easier. So reaching out um, is important to mashpia. Also, surround yourself with supportive people like in that uh, letter about spacing uh, a, a key element is that there are mockers another baby another baby another baby you know the culture is wow you're walking down the street there's such a beautiful family of one like so many children bundled together you know close in age and people are smiling at you like wow this looks so beautiful you're so benched it's such a bracha versus oh that mother with all those kids like never so again surround yourself with with uh positive not just learning their abasikas, but creating a support system where people with similar missions sometimes just being in that positive space um, it takes away the question in the first place. On the other hand, there are many realities where there is a real serious question and spacing the children due to whatever stresses are going on is very, very important. And our emotional health is super important. Again, but the balance of self-care versus pushing ourselves 
to accommodate another brocha, it's a tightrope. It's a tightrope. And that's why we need a mashpian arav. Thank you so much, Mrs. Rezov. That concludes all of our questions for today. I'd like to just ask just you want to end. comments. Yeah. I didn't prepare any concluding comments. And I, I the only con concluding comment I could think just offhand is that in this chus of so many women in this audience and on this audience who are actually working so hard to take care of the Ebshers and the Shamas in such a difficult time with the spiritual difficulties and the emotional difficulties and the physical difficulties in the schos, the Ebshers should see the Avaida that all of us are doing in our own little way to make it, like the Rebbe says, that the mission of making it easier or more comfortable, if it's emotionally or spiritually or physically, for the children that the Ebshter entrusted us with and just going forward step by step by step in that schos, the Ebshers should ready actually send us Mashiach in a Basar. I think we fulfilled our mission millions of times over and let's just, it's a high time that the Abish now should, in my opinion anyways, and I think in the Rebbe's opinion as well, it's high time that actually, I think we all fulfilled our quotas way more than ever expected. And it's time for the Abish to come forward and actually already take all the existing Neshamas and together we should all march towards Mashiach Tzedkeinu, and sometimes if we just envision and picture when Mashiach will come, and we'll see the Ebishter even, it says, we're able to see the Ebishter, could you imagine the smiling faces that the, the Ebishter will smile at us, we'll be able to see that smile, and we'll see the Rebbe's smile, thank you, thank you mothers and fathers and whoever, thank you for taking care of my Neshama, thank you, and just look forward for that tremendous uh, thank you, and that we should see Nachas Be'ene Basar. Amen, amen. Thank you so much for this encouragement, and may every single person out there listening tonight have brachas and strength in every aspect of their lives and in raising our beautiful families.